Tonight the Bible reading comes from John chapter 20, verses 24 to 31. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Well, friends, that's uh, great news, isn't it? Uh, you may not be aware, but over the last uh, couple of days, this is our sixth service of our Easter services, uh, close to about a, an attendance of close to 600 people over those services about 100 devices watching the service on Good Friday, another 100 devices, or another 100 homes this morning. And so it's been great that men and women and boys and girls have been gathering to worship our, our Jesus during this time, whether on-site or via live stream as well. And um, tonight's theme is resurrection, hoax or history. Uh, if you didn't get to watch this morning's, uh, hear this morning's talk, have a listen to that, it's different to tonight. Appreciate you do that during the week, you might find that helpful as well. But uh, Dr. Ross Clifford is the principal of Morling Theological College, and um, he's spoken at Nawi in the past, uh, years ago now, in men's breakfast and church services. Uh, but he is a, uh, a lawyer, he was a lawyer and a barrister, and, uh, but then ended up going into Morling College years ago to train to be a minister. But one of the things you do at Bible College sometimes is you read uh, all these liberal scholars or people who don't believe the Bible, and don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, uh, who try to pull the Bible apart and discredit it and so on. And so after some study, because he was a deep thinker, he decided he wasn't quite sure whether he was a Christian anymore, wasn't quite sure whether he should uh, believe the Bible, wasn't sure that Christ was God, or didn't, wasn't sure that Christ rose from the dead, was it just a myth that people made up and Christians are all fools for gathering to worship Jesus. He decided to leave college, go back to his work as a barrister, as a lawyer. Uh, he went to the principal at that stage and said, sorry, mate, I, I'm going to leave. I, I need to go back to my work. I'm just not sure this is true. He said he walked out of the office and uh, they were selling some secondhand books. People trying to get rid of their books. And he saw a little book called The Law Above the Law. Being a lawyer, he thought, okay, something about the law. And it was only uh, 20 cents, right? For 20 cents, he gave him 20 cents, picked up this little book by a lawyer named Montgomery. And Montgomery argued and he read it this little book, argue persuasively that the resurrection happened, it's in the evidence, you can put your house on it, as Ross puts it. He was convinced by the truth, by the evidence, and then re-entered, he says, the faith, continued Bible college training, and went on to be a pastor, and now a lecturer, and now the principal of the theological college. Part of his process of uh, wanting to ensure that he knew the truth, he did research on, uh, on apologetics, defending the faith in the United States, he ended up writing this book, Leading Lawyers' Case for the Resurrection. He's taken some lawyers from uh, past centuries, as well as this century, 
or last century, who, uh, who examined the evidence, gives you the evidence for why the Bible is true, or can you believe the New Testament documents, can you believe in the evidence for the resurrection, and so on. And uh, it's, it's been greatly used by many people uh, to uh, help them to know Christ and why they can believe the Bible. I have a few of these copies. They're at $20. If you're interested in one of these, grab one of these off me later. But uh, one of the things Ross said when he preached on this theme here a number of years ago is that the resurrection of Jesus, though, is not just an academic thing. It's not something you just prove, oh, well, it happened, that's great. He said, no, it is the foundation of Christian faith and it is life-transforming. So the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. In other words, the resurrection is vital. If Jesus rose from the dead, then Jesus is God, right? If he didn't rise from the dead, then he's not God. So when people challenged Jesus to prove he was who he claimed to be, he said in John uh, chapter 2, destroy this temple. There was a big temple there, the Jewish temple. He said, destroy this temple, but he was talking about his own body, and I will raise it up again in three days, showing who I am, uh, who, that I am who I claim to be. And it's interesting that Thomas, in that Bible reading, notice when he met Jesus, at the end of it he says, my Lord and my God. It's not just a prophet, it's not just a, a king, my Lord and my God. Evidence from his resurrection. Secondly, the resurrection is vital because it tells us what will happen with our sins and failures. Did Jesus really pay the price for our sins and failures? I've got a cross here to the left of me and we, we light it all up. It's an empty cross, right? Because Jesus is no longer there. We believe he's been raised from the dead. But if Jesus is still dead in a grave, then we have no confidence that our sins have been paid for. We are still guilty before a holy God. But if Jesus rose from the dead, then what he said about what he achieved on the cross is true. Thirdly, the resurrection is vital for it tells us what happens after death. Who is right? Who can you believe? The atheist? The Buddhist? The Hindu, the Muslim, how do you know? See, if Jesus was resurrected, he has established proof of what happens. We too will be resurrected. He said, as I was resurrected, you too will be resurrected. So is the resurrection a great hoax or a fine historical reality? Let's go to the skeptical disciples first. Uh, I always find it surprising that the disciples didn't quite understand Jesus' uh, coming death and resurrection, because when you read the Gospels, he tells them time and time again, they're going to arrest me, they're going to beat me, they're going to try me, they're going to kill me, <laughs> then I'm going to come back from the dead. But the disciples never seemed to get it. Luke 24, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. What do you mean? He's not here, he's resurrected. What are you guys talking about? So the disciples themselves were skeptical. They, didn't, they weren't expecting it. They, Jesus was dead on a cross and they ran, they scattered everywhere. Peter denied Jesus three times. They were not expecting the resurrection. So when the women said, no, no, he's, he, we met him, he's alive, they thought it seemed like nonsense to them. But Peter thinks, well, maybe there's something in this. Peter and John run off to the tomb and they realized the women were right. Why didn't they expect it? Well, the Jews of Jesus' day expected resurrection, but not until the end of history. 
So not in the immediate. The Greeks, on the other hand, who believed in the soul's immortality, would have laughed at the idea that Jesus rose from the dead. So the Jews and the Greeks, the whole idea of the resurrection for them came out of left field. No one expected it, even his own disciples. That's why in John 20, that uh, Chloe read, now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So Jesus has appeared to the disciples, and they, they realise Jesus is alive, so the women were right, they've met him, but Thomas wasn't there. He turns up, we have seen the Lord, they say, again. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were, put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Sceptical, sceptical, sceptical. So when someone says, oh, the disciples just made it all up, I mean, these guys look like lunatics, right? They look like I've got no idea what's happening. And Jesus slowly reveals himself to them, shows them who he is. Here's a disciple rejecting the idea that Jesus came back from the dead. He had known Jesus intimately. Thomas knew him. He spent three years with him. He ate meals with him. He listened to his teaching. He watched him do the miracles. And after all of this, he didn't believe. But what happens? He gets the shock of his life. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked... Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, so Jesus knows what's going on, right? He knows that Thomas is struggling. He knows that Thomas doesn't believe. He knows that Thomas is still skeptical. And most of us, we want to see something to believe it, don't we? Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Where the spear went, stop doubting and believe. Now, Thomas has had his experience with Jesus too. And he says, my Lord and my God. The skeptic is now convinced that Jesus is Lord and he's God. Let me say, um, we're a little bit like Thomas at the beginning. We cannot see Jesus here. I can't get Jesus to appear so you can touch him, to see him. We're a little bit like Thomas. We hear about it. We've had the story recorded for us from authentic witnesses. And we are called to trust in that Jesus was raised from the dead and he is worthy of following. It was about uh, 20 years ago, I think it was, I taught scripture at Beverly Hills Girls High School. And uh, at our SRE teachers had so many classes, so many students. Um, Gray McWhorter, who was an associate, myself, we went and took some classes. And uh, I remember a year nine class. And it was around Easter, and we're talking about uh, death and resurrection of Jesus. And she asked me, will anyone remember me when I die? Why do we bother with Jesus? What makes him special? Um, she had no idea about the gospel. And I said, I responded, I don't know how many people will remember you, and I don't know how many people will remember me besides family and friends. So she said, so why should we remember Jesus? Why is he different to us? And I said, I want you to imagine that I died tomorrow. You came to the morgue and saw that I was dead. More than that, you were nice enough to come to my funeral. You escort a procession to the cemetery. My casket is lowered 10 feet under and covered in soil. You shed a tear or two and you go home. After the holidays, you turn up to Christian studies, wondering who your teacher will be. Still a bit sad that I died. Oh, hopefully you're a bit sad that I died. I said, what would you do if I appeared in the classroom and you could touch me and talk to me and I knew your name? She said, I would be spooked. I said, of course you would. Because you and I can't do that because we're not Jesus. Jesus is God's son who died to take the punishment for our sins, I said to her, was raised on the third day, now calls us to follow him. Jesus continues, and Jesus 
Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. You may not see Jesus physically today, but there's enough evidence that Jesus' resurrection is historical reality than a great hoax, so you could believe in him. I must confess, uh, when I was in my 20s, I was studying divinity at the University of Sydney, and the divinity course at the University of Sydney is run pretty much by a mixture of atheists and, and Christians and liberal Christians back then, and some evangelical Christians like us. And I didn't know that, so uh, I went and they were telling me, I, the way they lectured in the Old Testament, the New Testament, I wasn't meant to believe any of it, it was all made up, and so on. And all of a sudden, my faith was shaken. I wasn't quite sure what I should believe. And I was coming home, studying this and writing essays and, and thinking, should I be a Christian? And the truth is, what kept me in the faith, as I reflect on that, is the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. As I looked at the evidence, it was convincing, a bit like Ross Clifford, it's in the evidence that Christ rose from the dead and I could trust in him. So let's look at some basic evidence. And uh, then we have some other books available for you afterwards, but let's just run through some basic things that will help you. Number one, Jesus' tomb was empty. This is one of the, the, the issues that people debate, okay? If Jesus was placed in a tomb and the tomb was empty, something happened with his body. And uh, note that Jesus' resurrection was proclaimed in Jerusalem just weeks after the crucifixion. And this is important. If Jesus' tomb was not empty, such preaching could not have taken place for very long. We know who owned the tomb where they placed him, where Jesus was buried, and from which the body was missing on the Sunday. So they placed him in the tomb. He's not there. The tomb belonged to Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Supreme Council. There'd be no problem in tracking him down, checking the facts. And the emptiness of that tomb must be one of the most secure facts of the ancient world, Dr. Paul Barnett says. It's empty. But the question is, how did it get empty? Why was it empty? And we note that the Jewish leaders did not contest the empty tomb. Remember in Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, they say the disciples stole the body. So that's what the religious uh, uh, authorities, the Jewish authorities are saying. They stole the bodies. No, it's not in the tomb. They've taken it. So who stole it? Well, did the disciples take the body? Some people say, oh, the disciples just stole the body. They made up this great theory and they started a religion. Firstly, you notice if you read the story of the disciples, that it would be foreign to their character, from what we know of them. But also, if it was a hoax, what did the disciples gain? Why would you steal the body and make up this story, which leads to your death? Right? Because the disciples started to preach with power. Beforehand, they were frightened. And now, after the resurrection, uh, they had this new power and to preach and to teach and evangelize in their own world. Most of them were now traitors to their own fellow Jews, taken to court, thrown into prison, executed because they preached that Jesus was resurrected. Now, if they're making up the story, if the disciples are making up the story, surely when they're about to, uh, to execute you, you might say, oh, sorry, guys, just making it up. No. They stood strong and firm because they believed they had seen the resurrected Jesus. They were willing to die for their beliefs. Secondly, some people that teach that Jesus didn't die on the cross, but he passed out. Then when they took him off the cross, they placed him in a tomb, in the cool of the tomb, and he recovered. And um, 
often called the swoon theory. And, uh, but you imagine for a moment, Jesus has been beaten black and blue, he's been whipped through his body multiple times, he's been punched around the head, he's had a crown of thorns on his head, they put him up on a cross, they nail him there, and uh, they then, he's trying to stand up to breathe, pushing his, leg, uh, his legs up so he has enough capacity to breathe, to stay alive. The soldiers come and check on him, and they don't break his legs because they see he's already dead, there's a spear into his side, and there's blood and water that comes out, symbolic of the fact that he has died. And somehow, some would argue that, oh, well, he's just then resuscitated. The secular accounts by historians, Tacitus and Josephus, who are not Christians, argue that he died. Uh, the people of the day argued that he died. Pilate was assured by the centurion that Jesus was dead. It would take a greater miracle to, to be alive after everything he's been through than almost the resurrection. But some say the Jewish or Roman authorities moved the body. Maybe not the disciples. Maybe the Jewish guys took him so the disciples didn't steal the body. Or maybe the Romans took the body because they heard that you know, the disciples might steal the body. But why would they want to start and inflame a legend like this about a resurrected Jesus? And more importantly, when Peter, in Acts chapter 2, started preaching that Jesus was raised from the dead, why didn't they go to the tomb, or wherever they've taken the body, and produce the body? It would have killed Christianity in an instant. Shut down Christianity before it had a chance to start. But you know why they didn't produce the body? Because they didn't have a body. Jewish nor Roman authorities. Now, some people would argue... Uh, the women went to the wrong tomb, right? And therefore, that's why uh, there was an empty, empty tomb. Well, it seems like a silly solution, doesn't it? And uh, someone has said, I bet a male made that one up, right? The women got lost on their way because guys, they never get lost. We never need instructions on how to get to a place, do we, men? Um, but if they did go to the wrong tomb, we know who the tomb belonged to, Joseph Arimathea. Quite easy going to the right tomb and find the body. The other alternative is that the resurrected Christ walked out. God raised him from the dead and he walked out of the tomb alive and uh, revealed himself to others. Sir Norman Anderson, who's uh, one of these lawyers you'll find in, in this book by Ross Clifford, says, the empty tomb then forms a veritable rock on which all rationalistic theories of the resurrection dash themselves in vain. Secondly, beyond the empty tomb, the transformed lives of the disciples. I think it's evidence that Christ came back from the dead. How did a small group of uneducated Jewish people become so adamant about their leader's resurrection that they pro pro proclaimed, debated, stood trial, suffered, and in some cases died for that claim? How on earth did devout first century Jews, who often avoided the other races, begin the largest, most international and multicultural religion in the world. Even today, we have people of all cultures, even in our service over the, the past uh, four days. Every culture almost of the world is represented here. Nigeria, Egypt, uh, Brazil, uh, we can go on. Right? All here. These disciples, Jewish guys, who wouldn't even eat with outsiders, started the most international multicultural group in the world. And take James, the brother of Jesus. You know, James, the brother of Jesus, became a leader in the early church. What changed him from being a skeptic and a doubter? Take the apostle Paul, called Saul of Tarsus, persecuting the church, rounding up Christians, putting them into prison. 
watching Christians being put to death. Then subsequently, he meets the resurrected Jesus, and Jesus says, why do you persecute me? He said, who are you, Lord? Acts chapter 9. And he realized that Jesus is the Messiah. So instead of attacking Christians, instead of arresting Christians, he becomes a follower of Jesus and is written in a large section of the New Testament. Other vital evidence, uh, the tomb of Christ was not subject to pilgrimages in the early period of the church because there was no body there. You know, now, if you go to Israel, a lot of people, they want to go to Israel, they want to go and see where Jesus was buried. And there's always debates about the exact spot where he was. So tourists, we're modern tourists, we want to go and see the... Okay, where he was born, where he was baptized, and where he was buried. You know, in the early centuries of the church, no one went. Why? There's no body there. There's nothing to see there, right? No one bothered. The existence of the Christian church. As I said earlier, he traced his origin back to Palestine around 33 AD, based on the resurrection. If Christ was still dead, there'd be no reason for the church to exist. They would have just simply remained part of the Jewish community. Christian worship is on a Sunday, not on the Jewish Sabbath. You know, in the Old Testament, it talks about Ten Commandments, for example. One of the commandments is to worship the Lord on Sabbath. What caused the early church to change from Sabbath worship to break with these major traditions to start to gather on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, the Sunday, the day of resurrection? A significant shift from the Saturday to the Sunday. And finally, women were the first witnesses. Really significant. In Jewish law, women couldn't give evidence in the court of law. Okay, that's the situation. They weren't allowed to. The testimony of women wasn't accepted. Yet in the Gospels, the best unbroken chain of evidence of Jesus dying, the women without the cross, being buried, they were there, they, saw, they placed him, and they were there at the tomb afterwards, and rising is given by women. Women tell the story. Let me tell you, if you are writing a hoax, if this is all a hoax, you are writing a story, you don't have the women telling the story. Because the Jewish person would say, we don't believe that, it's by women. It's, their testimony is not valid, it's not truthful. Yet the gospel writers will tell us it was the women who told the story. You know why? Because it was true. They're not going to change it. They're not going to make it more palatable to the Jewish people of the day. It was the women who were there. It was the women who were at the tomb. It was the women who then shared the message with the men who then took it on to others. Friends, let me conclude. The resurrection is true, and the resurrection changes lives. Over the years, we've made reference to Josh McDowell and his little book called More Than a Carpenter, and I have some of these here today. And these ones you can have for free. Don't worry about the price up the back. Many of you have read this and uh, passed it on to other people. Josh McDowell, again, he was a skeptic, about uh, 19 or 20 years of age at university. Uh, there was a motto he says about himself here, uh, happiness is Josh, you know, voting, try and get voted onto the student councils, whatever they have, presidents of the university. And everyone thought Josh was the happiest guy, but what he discovered, he was miserable. He had a terrible home life, an alcoholic father that he was deeply embarrassed by, and he was uh, often abused by his father and others. But he tried to pretend as if he had it all together. Then he said one day, he ran into some Christians, and, uh, and so the value of Christians on campus, right? Living for Jesus, sharing Christ, living the godly life. So I watched these Christians, and I, I realized they seemed to have something I didn't have. 
So I went up to, he went up to one of the women and asked them, you know, what it was uh, um, that made him so different, what gave him this joy and this happiness. Because although he pretended to have it, he didn't have it. And they said, uh, uh, Jesus. And he said, no, I, I don't want to know about religion. Just tell me what made the difference. He said, I didn't say religion, the young woman said. I said, it was Jesus. A relationship with Jesus made all the difference. So again, he then started to uh, research the evidence for the death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, the accuracy of the New Testament documents, can you believe the Bible, and so on. And he said to his, uh, to his surprise, he was convinced by the evidence that Jesus was truly resurrected from the dead. And uh, one day he was in a lecture, he said, talking about the change in his life, because God started to change him pretty quickly, uh, this guy. He said, at a Midwestern university, and debate with the head of the history department. And Josh said that his life had been changed by God. The lecturer said, McDowell, are you trying to tell us that God changed your life in the 20th century? What areas did he change? Josh said, I started. For 45 minutes, I was telling him every area, my anger, my disillusionment, my restlessness, my, uh, my, my hatred of my father. And said, I went through all of that. After 45 minutes, said, that's enough, stop. Right? Because when God touches your life, he deals with that pain, he deals with that hurt and that anger and the resentment and uh, the inadequacies and he starts to remake you. And following a serious car accident with his neck in traction, uh, Josh was taken home. And one day his father came to him and asked him, Son, how can you love a father like me? And Josh said, Six months ago, Dad, I despised you. Then he shared his dad with, the, uh, with his dad the conclusion about Jesus Christ. He said, Dad, I let Christ come into my life. I can't explain it completely, but as a result of that relationship, I found the capacity to love and accept not only you, but other people just the way they are. So he's sharing the gospel with his father. Dad, it's Jesus who's changed me. It's Jesus who's forgiven me. It's Jesus who's changed me. And 45 minutes later, his father said, Son, if God can do in my life what I've seen him do in yours then I want to give him the opportunity. It says right there and then, Josh prayed with his father and his father trusted in Christ. His father is then radically transformed by Christ. Josh says, for me, it took a number of months for God to change me. It's my father, it was almost like the lights went on, changed instantly. Never touch alcohol again from that moment. From an alcoholic to never touching it again. And he started to be transformed. This is available. Have, have a reader. He answers some of the tough questions. And share some of his testimony in there as well, there in the foyer. Good for you, good for your friends. Friends, it's my prayer that each of us would trust in Christ and the power of the resurrection. It changed my life. It kept me in the faith. Kurt Ross Clifford in the faith. And brought people to faith by examining the evidence. We ho I hope and pray that you would trust in Christ. Let him transform you and make a difference in your life. At the end of the service as well, as some other, just to let you know, we have some other resources available for those who may be new, don't have a Bible, we've got a New Testament there, have a read of that. Uh, a couple of other books. Uh, Lee Strobel, I told his story this morning, The Case for Easter. Some of the evidence, why he, as an atheist, was convinced by the evidence, became a Christian. After his wife had become a Christian, she was a, an agnostic. And so please take one of those, have a read of that, and give it out to a friend. The real Easter, two ways to live the choice we all face. And uh, I hope you take the time to read, to explore and to seek the truth about Jesus. Let me pray for you. Lord God, we thank you that uh, we gather in Jesus' name. We just don't have an idea or a thought, but we have historical evidence.
for the death and the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that the evidence is compelling. But at the same time, we realize, Lord, that we need to be willing to repent and trust in him and not live our lives our own way. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come in all of your power and all your conviction, convict us of our need of you, and come and transform us that we would be like Jesus and live for his glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.